Welcome to the Immigrations Podcast, where we capture the unique stories of Asian undocumented individuals living in the United States. My name is Ju Hong, and I'm a Korean immigrant activist. Hello, everyone. Today we have Steve Lee as our guest. Steve Lee is a leader in the immigrant community, advocating for immigration reform and social justice. He's a co-author of Dreams Deported, Immigrant Youth Families Resist Deportation, a UCLA publication where he shares his firsthand experience of being detained by ICE. Steve Lee has also worked on several campaigns, including the California Endowment Foundation's Health for All campaign, a bill that aims to expand health care access to the undocumented community. He currently serves on the board of directors at Asian Health Services, a community health clinic located in Oakland, California. Steve holds a bachelor's degree in Asian American Studies and Public Health from the University of California, Davis. Steve is a future um, psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner who will begin classes at Yale in the fall. Steve, first of all, thanks for joining my podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ju. It's been a long time coming. Yes, absolutely. And congratulations on getting into nursing program at Yale. Are you excited? Thank you. Yes, I am ecstatic. Um, ecstatic to, to, to go to graduate school uh, and, and pursue a career in nursing and really specializing in psychiatric mental health, which I think is very uh, relevant in our undocumented community. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to hear more about your education and career journey. And I'm sure a lot of listeners, particularly undocumented students who are um, really aspiring to become nurse or want to attend Yale, um, I think they will learn a lot from this episode. You know, I known you for over 10 years and I first heard about you about your uh, deportation case uh, through the Asian Law Caucus in San Francisco. And I remember Sinian, New, Kat and I went to a rally in San Francisco uh, in the fall of 2020, 20, 2010. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at the rally, I saw dozens of students and activists allies holding signs and the sign says like free steve lee education not deportation bring steve back home and um it was very powerful and there was a lot of urgency and this campaign really became national level campaign and uh with a lot of consistent actions and collective efforts from individuals and organizations um, in different states. We won the case and you um, uh, returned back to San Francisco. And obviously it's such a huge victory, not just for you, but also for the immigrant community at large. And it shows the power of organizing. And you are now known as a public figure and nationally recognized in the immigrants movement. And I know it's a lot to ask uh, for someone who shared your story so many times in different spaces. Um, so I really appreciate you for coming to my podcast uh, to share your 
a personal journey. Um, but I also think that it is really important for audience to understand your migration story and your family and how you got here and where you're at now. And this episode will be released uh, during the Mother's Day. Um, so shout out to all the undocumented moms out there. Thanks for all the sacrifice for your kids. And um, you are recognized and um, you are seen. And we want to continue to uplift everyone. And so with that, um, if you can tell us about your immigration journey and how you got involved in the immigrants movement, however you feel comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I am, first of all, I'm honored to be here. And on the Mother's Day episode, and Happy Mother's Day, I definitely dedicate uh, this to my mom, uh, who has just done so much for me and also all the immigrant and undocumented mothers out there who have uh, done so much for us uh, to be where we are today. Um, So thank you for having me, Ju, and I'm really honored to be speaking to you. Um, And I think it's great that you are creating this space uh, for a lot of uh, undocumented API community. Um, I think when we first met back in 2010, uh, just like you mentioned, uh, it was the power of community uh, that really was able to advocate for me and bring me back home. And it was also the first time that we saw um, API undocumented face. I think for a long time, it was always uh, the Latino undocumented community, but people didn't, didn't understand that it affected all of our community. Uh, and the Asian American community and how big of a undocumented population there was as well. So I think the podcast that you're doing now is an extension of that and really highlighting more stories as well. Um, in terms of my story, I was born in Lima, Peru. Um, I immigrated to the US when I was 10 years old and I really learned about uh, my undocumented status uh, when when I was detained. So my parents came with a visa and that visa expired. Um, and my mom was uh, seeking ways to um, find some sort of pathway to citizenship. Um, and she saw a, a lawyer uh, who, in a way, I feel like took advantage of the situation and really let her case. Uh, and then we were put into deportation proceedings. Fast forward to 2010, that's when uh, my deportation happened and we had to really, uh, my professors, my friends, uh, Aspire and the Asian Law Caucus, uh, where where I was able to meet you really uh, fought to uh, have me come back home uh, because at that time we still had some sort of dream act legislation, uh, but it was really through uh, a private bill through Diane Feinstein that was able to uh, come back and be able to uh, meet you and meet Aspire. I think it was so important to have that undocumented community um, and really find a place where we felt like our voices were heard. And really where I learned that or my, my story and my voice was really powerful. After being detained for two months, I saw the injustices that a lot of 
undocumented detained immigrants go through and how I was treated and how a lot of immigrants are treated in this country. And I felt like I had to say something. This is um, very uh, disappointing um, in terms of this immigration system uh, around deportation and detention centers. And I think that we have to really highlight what is happening in the center of this the United States around deportation issues. And I also noticed there's a pattern uh, from my uh, previous guests around how they um, put it into deportation proceedings. One of the reasons is because of fraud cases and immigration attorneys really took advantage of uh, immigrants as they are filing for uh, visas or trying to become a U.S. citizen in this country. And I'm curious to know when you uh, realized that you caught up in the deportation proceeding, uh, what was your reaction and what was it like to being in this process and being in detention, detention center for the past two months? Um, it was surreal, to be honest. It was like I was just going through the motions when you are incarcerated and detained. You're helpless. Um, you feel like you have no control over your life. You are uh, detained. Um, and it felt very surreal and helpless. Um, and I felt that that's why there was so much anger and going through that and there was um just a lot of just knowing that i did not want this to happen to someone else kind of empowered me to do something about it and to join aspire and to tell my story but also learning that the system is set up the way it is not because it's broken, because it's set up perfectly the way it is to the poor people of color. Mm. That's real. I think that um, it's unfortunately, it is still happening now. Uh, there's still a lot of deportations and uh, a lot of people are suffered uh, from the system that is designed to really hurting um, the immigrant communities. and. Um, so that is why I really appreciate you and other immigrants activists continue to really advocate uh, for our communities and shedding a light around inhumane practices that is happening in the detention centers. When we, you know, led this national campaign to stop the deportation for your case, um, we have successfully um, uh, won uh, your case, and uh, even though you you got successfully uh, uh, returned back to San Francisco, and what about uh, your family? Yeah, un unfortunately for for my parents, they after I came out, uh, my parents were deported. Um, so my parents were deported back to China, um, and. I have been separate from my parents basically since 2010, 2011. Um, and it has been tough. I kind of had to 
learn to survive on my own and become independent. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to, to just have, go through that and go through that separation and not knowing when you'll see your parents again. And so you were by, living by yourself uh, in San Francisco? Yep. I, <laughs> since, since 2010, I've been living on my own ever since um, and really try to find a way to be financially stable, to uh, find scholarships for school, uh, to graduate from UC Davis, uh, and to just survive in and also live live our our lives as well, um, and and also trying to figure out uh, a relationship with my mom and dad, um, who growing up or love language was act of service. Like mm. I remember when I was young, my mom will always make sure that I have food on the table when I left the house. She also she always asked me if I had a jacket with me. Um, and now that we are separated, we really had to learn to connect again and, and really, uh, figure out how our relationship evolved, um, uh, after that. Um, and it has been uh, a process. It has been, uh, it, it has not been easy, but I feel like, um, we have gotten to a point where we're able to really build a relationship again, even though we're not physically here. Wow. So walk me through how did you communicate with your mom and your dad um, after uh, you and your family got separated? After we got separated, yeah, it was just phone calls. It was just um, trying to figure out where everyone was, if how they were doing, if we have roof over our head. Um, and I think the beautiful thing is that I, and this was, this was recent too. I think having, having a relationship with your parents when you're young is very different than having an adult relationship with your parents and trying to tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah. Trying to, to, to become, you're a friend with your parents because for so especially Asian parents, uh, we're not used to saying, I love you. At least in my household, we never said, I love you. Uh, and trying to, to learn how do we express that when we're not physically here. Right. Mm. Uh, and trying to learn how to say that out loud <laughs> when, when growing up, we never used to say that. <laughs> right. No, I mean, you know, in my family, we don't say, I love you either. Yeah. So. Yeah, to, to learn how to uh, say or affection or say I love you to each other or that we care for each other. But also mm -hmm. I think something beautiful in immigrant families is that no matter where you are, no matter how when the last time you saw each other, you know they're always there for you and you know that they love you. Even with my extended family, my aunts and uncle that I've never met, uh, they they know about me and they care about me. Um, and that has been just so beautiful to experience and, and that bond that we have as a family. Mm, oh, that's great.
And how's your relationship between you and your mom now? Yeah, I think my relationship with my mom has um, improved a lot. Um, I think that after going through a lot of therapy, actually, <laughs> I'll recommend yeah. anyone out there to really seek therapy and psychiatry if you can, because it's, it's so important uh, to our mental health. And one of the reasons why I'm going into psychiatry, mental health, is because I have seen how depression has affected me. Um, mm. in, in 2018, 2019, I was going through a really deep depression. Um, and it wasn't until I sought help that I was able to, to really find the tools to, to come out of that depression um, and, and, and really figure out ways to go back to school, which was always my goal. Um, and also repair relationship with my mom. Uh, I think for a long time, we didn't talk. There was a lot of guilt in terms of uh, being undocumented in the US. There was a lot of guilt from her from for being separated from, from myself, from her children. Um, and learning to forgive. I think forgive ourselves. I think she had to forgive herself and I had to uh, forgive myself as well and be more compassionate to myself uh, to, to start to heal uh, because that, that is so important, especially as an immigrant family, there's also a lot of generational trauma that comes with that. I remember when I was younger, my mom will always compare me to other kids that she knew of her friend mm. and whatnot. She was like, why are you not like this person who is going to this school? And, right. and I internalized that with a lot of shame. Like, oh, I'm not worth it. Oh, I'm stupid. Oh, I can't achieve this. So, so knowing that there was a lot of kind of passed down trauma from that upbringing as well, but also knowing that she did her best. My mom did her best that she could in the circumstances that there were. And she also passed down values that I take with myself now. I think she, growing up, she was very selfless and she always kind of, the value that she instilled in me was always to help other people. It doesn't matter how much you're making, it doesn't matter about the money, but it's about how you connect with other people and how you help others. Um, and my mother is very religious. Right now she is a missionary in Peru, helping the, an orphanage there. And I feel like one of the reasons why I'm dedicating this episode to my mom is because I feel like now that I'm going to grad school at Yale, um, I feel like I want to be an extension of her helping others and, and be able to make uh, an impact uh, because of the values that she instilled in me. Wow, that's powerful and it's very beautiful. And thanks for sharing that. And have you ever get to see your mother in person since uh, the separation back in uh, uh, 2010? No, since because they were deported, there's a 10-year ban. Um, so I have not seen my parents or my family at all in the last decade, 11, almost 12 years now. Wow. If you were to see your mom in person now, and what would you say to your mother? 
nothing. I think I would just hug her. <laughs> I think it was so overwhelming that I wouldn't know what to say or how to deal with that emotionally. Um, it's been so long and there's so much to catch up on. Uh, but I think just that physical presence, I think will mean the, the, the world. Yeah, no, I, I really hope that um, you and your mom get reunited soon. And in the meantime, I really admire um, your, um, your love uh, for your mom and your family and uh, continue to strive for your dreams and aspirations. And it, it, it clearly shows uh, you are really connected to your mom's value, which is active service, just like your mom volunteering um, in, in Peru. Uh, you, you have been volunteering and continue to want to be um, service to others. So um, we are so lucky to have you in the immigrants movement. Thank you. And yeah. And so speaking of uh, Mother's Day, uh, I'm, I'm wondering what are some favorite moments uh, that you have spent time with your mom um, when you were young? Um, my favorite times. I think when I was young, um, back in Peru, she would always take me to just different events. Um, and she would always call me her little brother. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something that I always remember that she will always call me her little brother and she will ask me to call her yeah that every everywhere we went she will introduce me as her little brother <laughs> were you like tall tall as your mom or no I was I was like five six years old it's because we couldn't afford a nanny so I just had to go with her everywhere she was I, she was uh, she was a teacher and she used to work for a newspaper so she was invited to all these events um, so because we didn't have anyone at home, she would just take me with her. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm also curious to know if you were to have a chance to meet your mom, uh, would you rather uh, see her in America, Peru, or China? And why? Um, I think anywhere at this point. It can be in space. I'll be fine with that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, just just anywhere, I think. Right now, we are separated by all these borders, but I feel like the love that we have for each other transcends all of that. That's great. No, that's great. Have you ever, you know, for me, I've never, um, you know, grew up with my dad and we've been separated for a very long time. And when the father's days come, you know, sometimes I, you remember about my dad and when I look at, you know, my friends um, just kind of celebrating their fathers, it could be very isolating feeling. And, but I also try to uh, remind myself and um, acknowledging just the separation, but also really celebrate and honor my mom who has been a dual role. Uh, for my family, mm -hmm. and I'm curious to know if you um, resonate with that experience when during the times of Mother's Days come or uh, on your birthday or your mom's birthday when 
um, you two cannot celebrate it collectively in person? Yeah, I think I think we have done a lot of phone calls just to make sure that we're in touch with each other during those special occasions. Uh, but it's definitely difficult, especially around the holidays like Thanksgiving or Christmas when everyone is with their family. Um, but I, I've been really lucky uh, to kind of create a second family in a way in the in the U.S. and and have you know my family in Aspire, uh, my family in uh, in a lot of mentors that I that I had throughout the years and that they kind of invited me to to Thanksgiving or Christmas. Um, so I've been really grateful to have a second family here as well. No, that's great. And I'm also wondering what advice would you give to undocumented moms out here um, who are really struggling and sometimes um, there's not a lot of uh, tensions uh, with undocumented parents. What would you also give advice to undocumented youth? I think that what has worked for me is to find a community, find a community that that you can find a sense of belonging. I think that is so important. I think that our, our connection to each other is so important. And we really struggle with that in the undocumented community. I think we have one of the highest rate of depression and anxiety um, as part of the community advisory board in the BRAVE study. Uh, we have seen data that, that shows that a lot of undocumented people are showing symptoms of depression. Uh, and I think it's so important that we find those bonds to people that we can connect with uh, to, to kind of alleviate that sense of uh, outsiderness or a sense of being not fully connected with your family who's abroad and you can't see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking of health, I think there's a lot of um, mental health issues um, that is happening within the immigrant community and various reasons. And in addition to that, we do not have um, insurance. Um, most undocumented folks do not have insurance to really seek therapist or go to doctor and get medication and I'm curious to know what was your family or your experience with healthcare uh, growing up like? Yeah, so one of the reasons why I decided to go into nursing school is because of uh, my family's experience with healthcare. Um, I still remember uh, an experience where my mom was doing some work around the house and a bookshelf fell on top of her. Um, we had a deep cut in her head um, and I was around 10 or 11 I just came to the US uh, we didn't know the language at all and uh, my mom didn't know what to do and I told her that we had to go to the emergency room but she was hesitant because she didn't know the language she didn't know uh, where to go we didn't have health insurance uh, but I was finally able to convince her to, to go see the doctor and when we finally got to the emergency room, I just remember me and my mom 
just standing there feeling lost because no one was able to communicate with her or with us and really uh, talk to her about what the process was, when the doctor was going to see her. And we just ended up waiting in the emergency room for about four hours before a doctor finally came to see us. Um, and I just remember standing there just seeing my mom so embarrassed because she didn't know what to say uh, to the doctor. And then the doctor was putting stitches on her and he couldn't communicate what he was doing to my mom. Um, so that experience uh, really cemented kind of my, my passion to go into nursing or to go into healthcare in general and medicine because I wanted to be there for someone who looked like my mom or for someone who didn't speak the language. Uh, it's so important to develop that trust and it's so import important to have that empathy towards someone who doesn't look like you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, that story reminds me of uh, my mom. She worked worked at a restaurant and uh, she cut her finger and um, she went to emergency room mm -hmm. and um, she was just struggling because she's also monolingual mm -hmm. and um, thankfully she got treated. Uh, but then uh, a few weeks later, the bill came out. It was it was a couple hundred dollars just to kind of stitch up the finger, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a lot for us. Yeah, um, still is, and um, it is so much um, improvement is needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, people like you, um, who are culturally competent and speak uh, different languages, and I think it's really important um, to have that training and. Um, uh, have that culture in that environment, the hospital and the health system so that we can represent and help diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel like that experience is so important because when, when my mom had that experience in the emergency room, after that, she never wanted to go back to, to the hospital <laughs> or oh, wow. like a follow-up because why would she go somewhere that, she can't communicate with right when when so much about healthcare and healing someone is developing that trust with your doctor um so that even even that experience alone kind of uh jaded her in, in the what in the way her healthcare system works yeah what do you think in your view what are some steps that we need to improve and need to work on within the healthcare system yeah, I think there there's a lot to be done. There's I've been part of um, Asian Health Services Board of Directors for almost five years now, um, and I think it's been amazing to see how a community health center works, where we provide over uh, fourteen different languages, and we have doctors who are culturally competent. Um, and who can speak the language of the community that we serve. I think it is a model for the rest of the country that we need more diversity, that we need to train uh, more people who come from all different backgrounds and people who look like the patients that we're serving. Uh, because just like I mentioned, that 
that healing that it takes really is built on trust uh, and, and, and the empathy. And especially when you're talking about psychiatry and mental health, it's so important that you find a provider uh, that has a similar background that you do because there are some cultural nuances that other doctors wouldn't understand. Yeah, no, definitely. And let's talk a little bit about mental health. I think you touched a little bit about mental health and depression. And I'm curious to know your journey with mental health and depression and people who are listening who are undocumented may go through uh, depression, depression or mental health issues what type of advice would you give them uh, when they're in that in the phase or uh, how we can support uh, in a collectively as a community? Yeah, I think what's so important right now is just to talk about it. I feel like this stigmatizing mental health in the Asian American community, Latino community, and the immigrant community is so important because we don't talk about it enough. I think... Uh, a lot of us experience it, but we don't really share with each other what we're going through because we are expected to pull ourselves out our bootstraps or to deal with things. But it's so important to destigmatize mental health. That is, it's a practice just like how you take care of your physical body. You have to take care of your mental health as well. Um, and I have been really lucky uh, to have found a therapist that, I can connect with and has helped me a lot through my own journey uh, of a lot of years of depression and self-doubt. Um, I realized when I was depressed, there was a lot of shaming that I was doing to myself, um, that I was that I was not worth it enough, that I don't belong here. And then you see it on the news as well when they're talking about immigrants as criminals um, and mm -hmm. that builds up into your mental health as well. And it affects you as well um, externally. Um, so learning to be more kind and compassionate to myself, um, getting help from a therapist and psychiatry as well um, has helped a lot and be more vulnerable with your friends as well regarding how you're feeling uh, because they might feel the same way. I, I, I talked, I started being more open about seeing a therapist with a lot of my friends and realized that many of us also have all these mental issues and are not seeing a therapist. And I finally recommend, I, I started recommending my friends to see therapists and their, their life changed. Um, mm. and so really seeking help, I think is sometimes it's hard to just go through that first step of acknowledging that you need help and, and seeking help. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, it is important to seek therapists and really talk about it openly. And I think there's a cultural stigma within Asian community. Uh, but I think um, it start from yourself and really um, it is okay to talk about mental health issues and it is okay to seek therapists. Um, and I think I think that will kind of break the cycle of stigma and then um, helping with your family and your friends and the community at large. Mm -hmm. And I really like how you talked about, uh, you started 
to be a little more vulnerable to your friends and the community. Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about your second family that you mentioned about, uh, specifically Aspire. Um, it seems like Aspire um, shaped um, your identity and how you started involved in the immigrant movement. So I'm curious to know, um, tell me a little bit about uh, your time um, uh, with Aspire. Yeah, my my time with Aspire, um, I think we, we both experienced it around the same time. I remember meeting you in Aspire and you were just at the ANSA and then transferred to UC Berkeley. And then you started going through all this um, student affairs as well as student government being a senator. So I, um, I really looked up to you uh, and, and how, how you were navigating uh, just advocating for, for yourself and also advocating for others. And that's also where I felt like I found my voice uh, through community um, and realized how important it was that we had each other because through Aspire, I was able, like, not only felt, but I could see that it wasn't just about us, but it was about something bigger. It was mm -hmm. about our families. It was about the 11 million undocumented people who are currently living in the U.S. It was about racism. It was about sexism. It was about uh, the queer movement. Uh, that even though if tomorrow we get citizenship, we're still facing racism. We're still Asian. <laughs> um, so really understanding that our liberation is really tied to each other. Um, and I felt like that was such a beautiful part of my life, of meeting you, new Kat, and everyone else. Um, and going through that kind of confusing, but also empowering time together and trying to figure things out and, and really learning that um, our path to liberation is a marathon, it's a lifelong commitment. Uh, even if we get citizenship, there's still work to do, um, ways that we want to liberate people and ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And what was your most memorable experience involved in Aspire? Uh, <laughs> my most memorable experience in Aspire is when you won Mr. Hyphen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was a great time. When you were in this immigrant movement, um, who has been your most important mentor or an ally and why? Um, I think I think my most important mentor and allies has really been it's, it's a lot of people, but I, I think the important one is definitely, uh, aspire just everyone in aspire how how we all just found our voices in a way uh when when we were going through such a difficult time trying to find our own identity um i feel like that was really inspiring and really shaped the work that i do today and how important community means to me and becoming a psychiatrist nurse practitioner to me 
is so that I can give back to my community, is so that I can increase the access to the undocumented community, uh, mental health access, access to CSA psychiatrists, access to healthcare. I think that is so important and it will continue to stay with me with the work that I, that I do moving forward um, to also increase uh, more nursing students uh, at Yale. Um, I'm one of the first undocumented nursing students at Yale, which is mind blowing to me. Um, and that's why I've, I've been struggling to uh, come up with tuition because I don't qualify for any of the federal loans and federal aid uh, that Yale offers. Um, so it's been, it's been tough, but I also want to create more resources for future undocumented nurses at Yale. Yeah, no, I think that's powerful. I think that you're breaking the ceiling um, and you're inspiring other undocumented individuals and believing them that uh, they can also go to Yale and go to nursing program. So I'm so happy and uh, proud of you. I'm also curious to know how do you um, raise funding to go to Yale? Um, right now, it's been through scholarships, but also right now I'm doing a fundraising uh, through GoFundMe. So if you are listening and interested in helping me get to Yale and you really believe that healthcare is a right, um, that we need more uh, psychiatrists and nurses who look like us and can provide culturally competent care, uh, please feel free to donate and I'll make sure that we have uh, the link available as well. Uh, but it's been, it's been kind of a process uh, to lean into community uh, for help during this time. Uh, but I also realized that um, I'm here because of my community. Like I'm literally in the, still in the U.S. because the community fought for me. Um, and I'm leaning on my community again because I believe that this work is necessary and this work is crucial. Um, to really improve the health of the immigrant community. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll make sure to share the link um, on your uh, fundraising uh, GoFundMe about your grad school. I'm also curious to know what was your uh, your mom's response when uh, she found out that uh, you got into nursing school at Yale? Um. I've been really lucky that my parents always prioritize education and she was, she was really happy. Um, I think she, she definitely, she cried. Um, and she knew that I, I always wanted to go back to school. Um, and yeah, it's been a difficult road, uh, the past few years, but she was, she was really proud of me and I, I was really happy to share the news with her and I hope that she can come to my graduation when I graduate in three years. So I am looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I, I, I really hope um, that that will happen. And again, um, congratulations. I'm so happy for you and your family. What advice would you give to undocumented students who want to become 
a nurse or want to go to Yale? What type of kind of process or advice that would you would you give them? Um, I think for myself, going to grad school uh, took a lot of self reflection. To be honest, I I had to really down why I wanted to go into graduate school, why I wanted to go into nursing school. Um, so it is, I'll, I'll, I'll just recommend to really do some self-reflection where you're at and the path that you want to go in because at the end of the day is, is really doing what connects you to people and doing what keeps you in a flow in a way. Um, and for me, I knew that it was always uh, through healing. It was always, for me, it was always being able to heal others. And I also uh, volunteered as a crisis counselor in the San Francisco Suicide Hotline uh, recently. And I knew that I was able to stay calm through crisis situations and be able to walk through someone and de-escalate someone who is suicidal or going through a panic or an anxiety attack. Um, so that was really helpful to me in, in terms of being more confident in the path that I wanted to go. Got it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. This is something that I, I'm, 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 I'm struggling around identity. And I know you are a... Peruvian of Chinese descent living in this country. And I'm curious to know how do you define yourself and how does your identity uh, shape your worldview? Yeah, being um, Chinese Peruvian, American, queer, undocumented, I think these are all layers that, in a way, has has come with a certain level of suffering as well, in a way, of oppression mm. and suffering, but has always has also allowed me to have really deep empathy. Um, mm. That's something that I I value and cherish and and see see myself using that in my in my work as a psychiatric nurse. Uh, being able to have a deep sense of empathy uh, with the identities that that are part of me um, and is, is beautiful being able to uh, listen to Spanish songs and being able to talk to my parents in their native language in, in Chinese um, helps me bond with people in a different way. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, now that, you know, you are, preparing to go to nursing program and you're working and um, a lot of transition and moving peace is happening in your life right now. And so how do you take care of yourself and what brings you joy? Ooh, good question. Um, I have been, this is a work in progress, but trying to find a spiritual practice for myself. Um, I grew up very religious, very Christian, um, and and being queer, there was always a tension with that. Uh, but I think I've learned to really use that philosophy as a way to to kind of um, have a more reflective and inward um, 
relationship with 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 a higher being, whichever is God or or or, or someone else. Um, learning a spiritual practice, of meditating and praying and journaling has been really helpful uh, with my mental health, actually. Um, so. I, it's a work in progress. I don't do it every day, but I I, I strive to uh, continue to increase that and and be able to uh, find ways to continue to do that throughout uh, my life. Um, and also, things that bring me joy is um, something simple as going on a hike. Sometimes, just being able to find ways to be present. Uh, because sometimes I can get very anxious or I can get into a negative mental state. So it's hard for me to stay present. So just being able to be present makes me happy. <laughs> mm. No, that's great. And those of you who have never met uh, Steve, and I personally know Steve, and I, I'm connected with them and through social media and you work out and you are, you're stay fit and you are um, eating really healthy. So I'm also curious to know whether uh, working out and um, stay well-being is also part of your um, routine and brings you joy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I think uh, part of, going to the gym and working out and um, eating healthy has been part of a routine that I've been trying to keep up with. Sometimes it's not perfect. <laughs> and But I, it's something that I've continued to try to stay on top of it because it, it makes me happy. And again, it makes me feel present in the moment. Um, and also realizing that your health is everything. Your health is mm -hmm. like being able to being grateful to be healthy being grateful to be able to not be in pain when so many people are suffering right now uh, is i feel so lucky for that um and um every day i try to just uh kind of remind myself of how lucky i am to be able-bodied to not have a chronic disease um so Definitely recommend to stay on top of your physical health, mental health. I know it can be difficult or you might not have time for it, but really prioritizing that. One final question for you. What advice would you give to your younger self and why? I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think just even the advice that I should give myself right now is to love myself. I think that's a big one is to, um, yeah, learn, learn to really figure out how to love yourself and how to kind of comfort yourself in a way, um, mm -hmm. instead of seeking kind of that external validation, um, this, mm -hmm. Just learn to, it's, it's, it is easy to say, but hard to do for sure. Um, and, and just find, find what, what makes you happy and find, do things for yourself. Um, I think that's something that I'll, I'll give my, 
advice to you because I remember when I was younger, I was really um, prioritizing pleasing other people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that comes with a lot of different things and upbringing that comes with that. But learning to, to prioritize myself um, and, and to take care of myself first before I take care of others. And that's something that I, I take with me as I become a nurse. How do, if I can't take care of myself, how do I expect to take care of others? Mm. How do you love yourself and what does it look like for you? <laughs> I think for me right now is definitely staying in a regimen of going to the gym, stretching in the mornings, meditating. Um, that's, th- those are some ways right now that I feel like I'm trying to do to, to love myself uh, or to just do it for myself and for my body, for, for your well-being, right? Because uh, you're doing that for yourself. And we're getting old, <laughs> too. <laughs> we need to stretch. <laughs> yes, yes, we definitely do. Well, I want to acknowledge you and appreciate you for sharing your personal story again uh, with us. And I have to say it is truly admiring and inspiring to see your growth um, and uh, always appreciate your courage and activism throughout the years that we spent time together in the movement. I'm excited on what's in store for you in the near future. And as I mentioned before, um, I think you're opening doors of so many undocumented folks uh, who have aspirations and dreams uh, become nurse or uh, always uh, wanted to go to Yale. And now they have someone to look up to and get some advice from. And so I think you are uh, breaking the ceiling and continue to uh, challenge the status quo. And uh, we need uh, more people like you and we need to have more people like us to be in the power of the position and continue to support other undocumented uh, folks along the way. I also acknowledge and uh, appreciate how you share your um, story of your mom. Um, I think a shouting out to all the undocumented mom out there. And I also want to acknowledge my mom who has been there for me, a sacrifice for me and without her, how to be where I am today. And so mm-hmm. it resonated with me so much. And, um, you know, I really hope that uh, your mom will get to see you graduate uh, in, in, in the next three years. And um, we, we will let's, let's continue to fight uh, to ensure that um, not just uh, your family, but my family as well as other family will get reunited and then um, push for comprehensive immigration reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and, and also very grateful for our friendship and, and to be in this journey of liberation with you. So thank you and happy Mother's Day to all the immigrant moms and documented moms and all mothers out there. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again, Steve, and let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow me on Instagram at Immigrations. See you at the next episode.